0: The views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to the Nomadic Podcast, where we discuss geopolitics, national security, and a bunch of nonsense over beers. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me tonight is Tom Durham and Robert Thomas. And recording on April 22nd, 2022. 22 2022. 20, yes. And I think we missed that by two
1: months. Otherwise, I, that would have been
0: yeah. numerical. cool. But we did, we should, we, we just, I, I had this realization today. What I should have done actually was just that we done an episode on Pod and just did it on 420, but like missed the mark. Um, did, you, did you hear
1: in Denver on 420? It was 69 degrees at, on 420. Nice. on the 4, At 420 p.m. <laughs> <sighs> I'm sure that's a sign for something good that's
0: going to happen in that city this year. I'm sure. But no, this, no, it's not. This is post-2020 world. Nothing good happens. But anyway, um, like, not, something not good happening. We're talking about the war in Ukraine again. Um, last episode we did multiple months ago. <laughs> so it's not been we're not great about doing mm, these. It's been a while. It's been a bit. To be fair, nothing's happened in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Very calm, <laughs> quiet
0: 2022 so far. God, I wish I missed this fucking days Jesus. But, um, no, we're talking about the, uh, situation in Ukraine. Um, you know, you want to, we did an episode about a week or so before the war actually started. So if you want to listen, uh, talk about, you know, what our perce- perception on that was, um, or just kind of get the, the, the background why Russia was considering this stuff, you know, what, the, what it appeared to be, at least um that's episode 82 ukraine under threat you can check that out um but you know as before we get into that was get over our beers and today we're drinking uh oblon lager it's a ukrainian beer
2: just so that no one thinks that we're unbiased in any way about
0: this topic <laughs> glory to ukraine
2: yeah, it's a it's a, fr- a brewery from like, well, they're, they're yeah, they're
0: um, it's like a they make a bunch of different stuff. Obama makes a bunch of different things like I think soft drinks and stuff too. But like, there's this is like their beer and they It meets me in Kiev. What's so. up? You know what? It pisses me. Off. Why? Why don't? Why? Why does the US not have good loggers? Like seriously, like, <laughs> like, like I could like. I, I I've gone to like Thailand. There's great lagers there. There's there's uh, there's you know I had I went to this Russian Peruvian restaurant. They had these Peru lagers. I was like they're really good too. Like all of our lagers are kind of weak bullshit. They're like it's like beers like England is like a light beer. I think
1: it's we, I think it's just we we, we have got way too in the IPAs.
0: I mean there's nothing no, wrong. There's and nothing, and then, there's no, there's
1: nothing wrong, wrong with that. No, I, I'm not saying anything I, wrong with it, But It's just kind of U.S. beers kind of focused on those and not say the others. It's kind it's of, it's kind of like how you know Portugal they focus more on portugal wine rather than red wine um it's just i guess
2: the taste i'm also not entirely sure that the american beer industry has centered itself really since pre-prohibition it's still having some figure itself out moments still
0: finding itself (laughs)
2: <laughs> but anyway, this Ukrainian lager is a solid one. Yeah. It is. Yeah,
0: it's like it's like you pick up a foreign lager, it's like oh, it's good, it's solid. It's a very good choice most of the time you when you make it when you go to the bar somewhere in the world. Just not here. <laughs> You get a leg well, oh, It's IP or it's a seller.
1: It's a group of uh, old world recipes. So that's probably part of the reason why American Lager sucks. We're not old enough yet to figure, discover them. It's something that is a civilization you discover once you hit past, I don't know, 500 part years. Part of the
2: tech tree. <laughs> exactly. It's after
1: 500 <laughs> years. It's like, it doesn't matter how you know good your tech scene is. Like you, That's when you just have to wait. You, you just got to wait. So we'll, we'll check in on American Lager in uh, you know, 2550. All uh-huh. right.
0: Yeah, so would make a good logger. Um, anyway, so the first thing I really want to kind of bring up is the uh, Lindley's so program that the U.S. put out. So essentially, it's the called the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lindley's Act of twenty twenty two. And with the Senate very quickly. The House is still not met to to pass it, but more likely that it will. Um, you know, essentially, what it is is we haven't seen the Lend-Lease since World War Two. You know, basically, it's just a way to expedite shipping weapons and equipment and, and whatever else to the Ukrainians to help them fight against the Russians. Yeah, and it's also a lot of people don't realize, even a lot of history buffs,
1: um, just how much Lindley's mattered in World War II. Um, even Stalin himself admitted that without it, they would not have won against Germany. Um, a lot of the times, a lot of those pictures you may see of... Soviet forces in World War II, the Katushka Rockets and everything, those are Studebaker trucks most of the time. They were just made in Indiana and shipped out there, and then the Soviets put their own uh, label on them, Um, along with other parts. Like, a lot of that was was us. Uh, We kept the British Air Force going even when we weren't supposed to, like, uh, from my understanding, FDR was not supposed to, they would uh, leave some planes at the Canadian border, and then uh, the British would just come and uh, take them in the night. And then when they were legally allowed to do so... So they mysterious. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was FDR's way of getting around it to help in, you know... Cause people forget to estimate too how isolationist the U.S. was back then. Um, but then that changed after uh Passell and Lease Act. And then before that, uh, FDR referred to the United States as the arsenal of democracy, which is probably one of the most badass terms ever to use to describe America.
2: And so fast forward to today. <clears throat> I mean, I think one of the really crucial dynamics of this conflict has been the fact that once it became clear that this was not going to have a quick resolution uh, the way that the russians clearly expected it to with their multi-pronged offensive once that turned out not to be the case we settled into a dynamic where the russians who started with a huge material advantage because of how isolated they are have had trouble Backfilling their losses, whereas the U.S. and our European partners have been pumping new weapons, new equipment, uh, pretty aggressively to support the Ukrainians. And I mean, this is accelerating it even further.
1: I mean, in Russia to this day, still, I mean, Russia, throughout pretty much all of its history, has relied on importing arms. Um, They don't home make a lot of it, especially a lot of the tech chips in there. Um, Like some reports allege that were from 55 to 65 percent of the materials that are used to make like some of the missiles they were lobbing at ukraine they import and then now they can't get them so it's one of a many many of things but like that's just uh part of the nature of it and then now whereas ukraine now it's just the world that like has op- well, at least the west has opened up to just get you know flooding them with these
0: weapons yeah i mean there's, there's been instances like you know uh, you've seen like videos of Ukrainian soldiers taking part uh, like russian drones and they're just like Rudimentary cameras you buy from like you know a Best Buy kind of situation yeah. like, whatever electronic store is near you kind of kind of thing they're like what is what is this bullshit like you know this yeah. it's kind of a joke.
2: Well, their reliance on uh, subpar over-the-counter uh, equipment seems to have been quite the recurring issue for the Russians, uh, including among other things that number of situations where they've been relying on uh, basically off-the-shelf unencrypted. Radios and cell phones oh, yeah. that have made it really easy for the Ukrainians to figure out their positions and keep, you know, popping off senior officer after senior officer. How yeah. many generals are we up to now? See, Eight? I think nine. It's crazy, now. nine. Yeah, I mean,
1: and also just tanks too. A lot of people. So for, for some perspective, uh, Russia. Last that I saw, has lost what over three hundred fifty tanks. I'm sure maybe it's more than that. Yeah, probably. Uh, they're the entire. Iraq and Afghan war, um, both wars, the United States lost a total of nine tanks. I, I, like, like, just put that in perspective for some people. Granted, there's different types of wars, but just to give an idea of just how much munitions and hardware had been lost, a lot of it abandoned. Um, and then, Brad, we mentioned some of the unencrypted stuff. Like the, there, a lot of hackers have been also just raiding uh, a lot of Russia's like companies, ministers, ministries of culture. Uh, the military like have just been dumping the stuff online that right now I think it's um I think it's they think they think about like nine petabytes or something of information has just been leaked out. A lot of it's just emails that will takes forever to sift through. Probably a lot of it's mundane. It's nothing but just the fact that the hip got it and it just it's like kind of the world's hackers have now seen it as a cause to just get in there and just dunk on Russia. It's kind of nuts.
0: But yeah, if, if we were alluding to it a second ago it was um you know Russia's just failure to. Do this and they said it would take two weeks to take Kiev and take most of the country, but they most military object- objectives, but they failed tremendously. I mean, it's it's a lot of like you know, you know. I think it's like this this old Soviet edge like you know. It's this Soviet defector once said, like you know, it's, Russia just painted over rust, yep. and there's just tons of the equipment's outdated. Like their food, their food stores were outdated, you know, or not good anymore. You know, they they couldn't run, basically they move far enough from a rail system, they can't supply their troops. And that's what they were facing. they're facing. That's why they're abandoning, you know, armored vehicles and tanks and everything else, just
2: to basically be like, okay, cool. We're we're oh, we ran out of gas. Shit. Well, and they've had trucks and other equipment just breaking down because of deferred maintenance or poor maintenance. Frankly, just ineptitude. I mean, one of the things that I think people really don't tend to understand until they've spent some time digging into military affairs is just how much everything turns on these seemingly boring little details of logistics and maintenance and the ongoing chores that you need to do to keep equipment up and running. If you don't do those things and do them well and do them consistently, it doesn't matter how shiny and exciting on paper your equipment is and it doesn't matter what wonderful tacticians and strategists some of your leaders may in theory be those meat and potatoes issues make or break any sort of military operation and also just like when you see like some of the images that
1: come out of it a lot of the basic equipment just basic state a lot of the russian troops are in plenty of images where there are a lot of their tank crews they're wearing half camo half adidas track pants like i mean you can argue which one's the true uniform of russia but <laughs> it's just you know it's not it's not the same it, it just almost seems like it almost indistinguishable from just a group of uh, you know a local like militia that got a hold of a tank and has an area in X, you know, country you've never heard of before. But like, no, this is actually supposed to be one of the world's largest armies, and they can't seem to supply other guys in their pants or jackets
2: when they are next door to their own border. Yeah, in, this is a, a long-range expedition. Yeah. This isn't
1: this isn't a tropical country invading a country known like in a in a cold zone. This is a country known for its winters invading another country known for its winters that can't seem to keep his own soldiers. That,
0: that used to be a part of their. Empire before, so it just—it's yeah. not like they're not un, un um, it, unknowing of of, of Ukraine. They're like, oh, they know it pretty well. So it's just like you know why? Yeah, yeah. So it just it's—it's it's been a like cluster fuck. I mean, to say the least, it's just like it's kind of laughable. I mean, there's 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 estimates between like ten 000 to fifteen thousand troops have died. But you know, who knows what's true? Because you know, there's like just kind of what is. What is actually legitimate propaganda from Ukraine going like? Oh, we've killed twenty thousand. It's like I don't know if that's true. And then NATO's like estimating; they're making their best best guess at Russia's like, like fifteen hundred at the most. We swear. It's just like, well, it, I don't know that it's true. It's also Russia. That it, I mean, the way it constructs me
1: is they're trying to fight this war like it's the seventies, and they're trying to fight against a country that's fighting this war like it's the twenty first century. I mean, there's you see countless footage things online of just. Uh, these guys are like in their early twenties in Ukraine. They, didn't have a, they don't have a, um, any Stinger missiles. They have an anti-tank missile, and they just say screw it, and they lob it at a helicopter. They hit it, and like it's just and because it's still good enough to go against these crappy helicopters that Russians are flying around in. Russia at no point managed to establish air dominance. I think it, part of it is is like their own hubris, and then uh, like Putin's own hubris failing for this, but also just. I mean many countries throughout history have fallen into the false like romanticized version of the the decisive battle, the one battle, and then you and you win the whole thing and really, the history of war is that you're really it's really hard to find examples of just where one battle and then the whole war like it was over. Those are really rare occurrences
2: what well, and I think part of what has led the the Russian leadership astray in the decision to start this war of aggression in the first place, but also the way that they've attempted to prosecute it, has been just a whole tangled knot of different kinds of romanticized myths that are out of touch with reality. But even prior to that, I mean, the, the things that, A, led to this kind of criminal behavior on the kind of, uh, of the kind that we're seeing from the Russian state, and that led to the incompetent execution of it, they aren't problems that emerged overnight. They are also the product of a rot of corruption oh, yeah. that has permeated the institutions of the Russian Federation for, for decades now. And so, you know, all kinds of money that could or should have been going to, some of those basic meat and potatoes maintenance things that I talked about, you know, it was lining the pockets of cronies of the leadership, for example. Oh, yeah. Instead of, gee, maybe we should rotate the tires on this truck so that it doesn't have, you know, one or two of them just pop and bog it down two miles down the road. It's also
1: um, not just issues that plague the Russian Federation. I mean, this is stuff that's permeated from the Soviets and even before that. It, it, Russia has a long history where the state security forces are usually in some kind of like a, a constant fight with the military and usually state security forces win because and, um, like a good example of this is Stalin was uh, really wary of war heroes, particularly like people like um, General Zhukov because he was afraid that they'd get way too popular and then they'd come after like they'd try and stage a coup and so that's usually why things like the KGB have usually held a little bit more power than the military and so that, then over time, then what that does is that siphons off so much from the military itself and weakens it from you know, constant moving generals or them mysteriously dying and whatnot. And the, it's continuing the Russian Federation as well, that you end up with a military that is crippled, not
2: crippled, but sufficiently weak, weakened. Not that there's been any shortage of different individuals or groups of people that Stalin was irrationally paranoid oh, about no, no. Yeah. or that putin's been irrationally paranoid oh, about because they're clearly very secure men oh yeah of course um yeah. Big, the biggest strongest
0: men obviously yeah obviously the men who run, right bears and things yeah yeah But anyway back to the the land leads what we've seen like across eastern europe is basically nato allied countries who have russian equipment or like here, Ukraine take our. You know, I think Slovakia gave a S300 air defense system, and like there's been other instances of like, helicopters and tanks and stuff like that. The like, you know, Czech, Czech Republic has tons of T72s. Um, they're like, oh, we'll do this and get new Western European or American tanks. Okay, cool, fucking whatever, you know. But it's like, well, you know, for you know, really doing land lease and offering weapons to Ukraine. Like, I think it's time to make Ukraine a nuclear power again. <laughs> I think I think I think you know. I mean, Ryan going straight time. for the
2: escalation. <laughs> I, <laughs> am so no, I am so shocked. I am um, astonished. Dude, for those who haven't
1: seen, Ukraine claims and now has more tanks than started the war with. with <laughs> yeah. Even if it's even close to being true, even that's even close. That is, well, a hilarious, but two also like incredible in just terms of like the number of they've seized back from Russia and gotten from. Uh, other allies but and also i think a lot of it is there are alleged reports um granted i have not seen all these confirmed that but this wouldn't surprise me is uh that a lot of russian tank crews are running with like one less man you're supposed to and so for the who are not really aware so the main tank most of the tanks of russian to use require a three-man crew commander a gunner and a driver um And then when you have a person that's down, you're missing one, then you have to have someone who's doing the job of two people. And that does not go well. That's like like going to a restaurant, and then you find out that your waiter is also the cook. Like, sure, maybe you can get it done, but that's not going to be easy. And whereas the Ukrainians are fully staffing their
2: tanks. And that makes a huge difference. And let's not downplay the fact that the... Ukrainian farm tractor has proven itself oh. to be the apex predator of the ecosystem oh exactly <laughs> I cannot wait for after uh, the war is done that you know there's
1: going to be some news outlet that's just going to go interview some Ukrainian farmer who just got five of these tanks in his yard because the Ukraine's version of the IRS has said that, that you, any munitions you seize you don't have to claim as income no taxes exactly mm-hmm. uh, and so he's th- th- just going to claim it. he just there's going to be this part farmer just going to be proud of there because a whole section of his farm he's just taken up with just these tanks I cannot wait for those news stories because they'll be hilarious but also it will mean you know Ukraine is free free
0: so speaking of season liquidating things there's a um, there's right now in Congress a, a bill that they got introduced it's called HR six nine zero three 6930 it's catchy uh, asset seizure for Ukraine reconstruction. Basically, what they want to do is use funds that we you know that have been frozen by the U.S. Um, of Russian assets, you know, from banks, you know, cr- Putin cronies, Putin himself, all that kind of stuff. Which, you know, at this, people estimate it's like 100 billion at the least, maybe way more, pro- probably sure. way way more. Maybe people have been seizing yachts and shit like that all over the world. They want to liquidate those assets and use it to pay for Ukraine's. Reconstruction, but also could be used to pay for Ukraine's military funding. I you know. So, is that a good idea, or is that could that make things worse? Like when we come to like a peace deal or something like that down the road. Um, so,
2: well, I mean, one of the one of the things that I think is important to keep in the background here is that as much as the Ukrainian military has proven its metal way beyond what most outside observers expected. And as much as the Russian military has, quite bluntly, shit the bed this whole time, that doesn't mean that this is something that Ukraine is unscathed by. I mean, the amount of human suffering, the amount of infrastructure damage, the just profound destruction and disruption to so many parts of the country is enormous and Ukraine is going to take a long time and a lot of resources to rebuild. So, I mean, with that in in context, yes, there are lots of questions to be had about process and precedent, but taking financial resources from the criminal aggressor to repair the damage that they're done at least at, at a foundational level, certainly has a pretty strong moral case behind it.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I I don't disagree. I agree, I agree completely. It's just like I you know what, what, what on the Russian side, everything that make them the war zero sum for them. Either it's all or nothing. It becomes they just double down even further than they already have. Basically saying, like, hey, you know we have assets, but, but also at the same time, it's also like fuck them. And I'm just I'm I'm posing the question, but at the, at the, the same argument. time,
1: they kind of made that. Yeah. and all or nothing. I mean, just because... They already... Yeah, they it, already... It, the window's kind of closed for them to pull a China, what they did in Vietnam in the 70s where they tried to invade uh, China um, which with tank invasion via jungle, which, shocker, did not work. And then they quickly just pretend, oh, we defeat the threat, and then they went home and to be the victor when they really got their ass kicked. That window f- to act like that for Russia has kind of closed, like, real quickly. It's... Like and it, some people have said that we shouldn't be do we shouldn't seize a lot of the Russian assets because we need to provide them an off ramp for this so they yeah. can say phase. I Putin just seems like he's all in on this. Like it's just very it, it, that doesn't really seem to make a difference. And and also and but yeah, seizing all that money to help rebuild Ukraine afterwards, because Ukraine's gonna need some kind of mini Marshall plan at the very yeah. least, to help rebuild a lot of that country, and rightfully so. Uh, speaking of yachts, too. Um, you got, did you hear about the uh, at the beginning of the war in Spain, one of the oligarchs' yachts was parked there off the coast. A Ukrainian sailor sunk it, and then we just Sp- opened yeah. all the valves. Basically. Yeah, yeah. He basically, and then when the when the Spanish arrested him and asked him everything, and I, from what I understand what happened was they asked him like, you know, they tried to be like, did you "Do this," or "Was just an accident?" And he just immediately was like, "Yeah, I do it. I did it, and here's why I did it." kind of thing and of course spanish authorities and you know, were just like shit what are we gonna do with this you know this guy like you know send him back to ukraine then you know what district attorney wants to be the asshole to prosecute him so from understanding that he's currently still in spain pending trial at a later date and it's probably put off inevitably and they just will never get on to actually charging him which is amazing and also just <laughs> <laughs> just one of the most hilarious like but, it, but it's also uh definitely like a lot of the yachts like i think right now finland's up to the highest amount of yachts i keep reading different like sometimes it's finland sometimes it's germany it seems like europe's competing for who can seize the most of these like oligarch yachts but just the amount of money a lot of these are worth is
2: crazy although one of the things that each country that has seized some of them is going to have to figure out is some sort of long-term disposition because you can't just leave these kinds of watercraft sitting there without no. maintenance. Or they start developing all kinds of problems and leaching all kinds of nasty chemicals into the surrounding water. Yes. So it costs money to maintain them. So every any, any jurisdiction listener, that has them has got to figure out what they're going to do about that. Any listeners
1: who have ever owned a boat right now are nodding their heads at that just because they... They know how quickly boats
2: depreciate, <laughs> and uh, that's for a regular boat as opposed to an obscene mega yacht. Yeah, um, yeah purchased with billions of dollars oh, yeah. of stolen money, effectively as part of a corrupt kleptocratic and system. Another
1: example of uh, somebody bought the so Chelsea FC, the owner of that was Russian. Yeah. The British essentially passed a law that they said that they can't trade players, add players until it's like essentially sold, um, and then uh, you have. There's an area of London that's been for a long time been referred to as Moscow on the Thames because there's so many uh, yeah. Russians there. And so now a lot of them are just, leaving. I think from what I understand, one oligarch's mansion there. There's a bunch of squatters that was just sitting in it. And then he, like, demanded the British government to object them. The London police were like, nah. <laughs> so, which is just like, or, or they're just like, oh, we'll look into it. And like, oh, you know, we're so busy right now. Like, pull one of those things.
0: That's oh, it's crazy. The British being the good guys for once.
2: Um, not that Ryan has strong feelings <laughs> about that topic. I don't, I don't at all. Ryan's mm. not known for having strong feelings on any topic. He's such a <laughs> he's yeah. such a, an apathetic and, and low-key... I am a professional... Particularly
1: when it comes to the British. Yeah. Okay. Good people on both sides.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> of the Thames? Yeah,
0: um, but um, you, you, you brought up briefly Finland... In Europe and stuff, and they're going the yachts. Um, so the big thing is that Finland, and Sweden are looking yes. to join NATO now. So that's crazy. I mean, they they've always been very have neutral positions towards Russia. I mean, after the after you know Soviet collapse, they all they've had they joined the the EU and had a, you know basically a a, a more standard Western feeling. They never joined and NATO. They wanted to still be neutral, but now they're looking at doing it now. I mean, Swedish neutrality predates world war ii and that sweden after
1: they ceased to be an empire Goes back to like yeah the
2: immediate post napoleonic yeah
1: about. pretty much like after they ceased to be an empire and norway you know broke away from them and because uh, a lot of people don't realize that pretty much all of, like finland sweden all uh norway and denmark that used to all be sweden and so the swedes see. just kind of uh yeah they've kind of just been the the northern uh, switzerland like for a while um finland's situation is a little different because uh <laughs> they, 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 uh, they were attacked by the Soviets and then attacked the Soviets after... Uh, so they signed a pre kind of well, kind of a cease fighting with the Soviets after the Soviets pushed um, them out of uh, some of the areas that are now part of Russia during World War II. And, but then when Germany attacked uh, Russia, Finland also did. So technically, Finland kind of was on the side of Germany for a hot minute. Which is, uh, I think there was a meme I saw once. It, w- it was like, don't, you know, never ask a woman her age, a man his salary, or Finland which side it fought on in World War II. Well,
0: I mean, with Soviets, I mean, I kind of fucking get yeah, it. But
1: then after the war, too, no one really trusted Finland, and Finland kind of was, took this very neutral position. But uh, the Soviets, for a long time, tried to fuck with their politics and had tried to have a lot of influence. Like, they, had a, they, ne- they never really won, prime Minister or everything, but they had a strong, like, communist party there in Finland. Uh, they they definitely tried to fuck around with them for quite a while, um, and people forget that the Finns are, they aren't, I mean they're they're part of the you know the Nordic country Scandinavian countries and all, but they are they do have a lot more in common with the Russians by far than the Swedes or the Norwegians i think They kind of, and their languages are they're a bit of a different. Well, they're like, they're really family. their own.
2: Yeah, th- they have their own very distinct history and culture, mm-hmm. and I think they they've been in a position of having either Scandinavian countries or or the russians try to kind of assert control over them at various points in their history I mean, and yeah the, and they got tired of it kind <laughs> like the, uh, like, yeah i mean but which, nowadays the estonians nowadays, good, and lithuanians would definitely so. sympathize with that position
1: because their history is either being told you're polish now oh no now you're german okay no now you're you're soviet like that's a similar situation
0: <laughs> i mean i mean the, the most notable thing coming out of this is that they aren't jumping together because originally they're all like oh, hey, if one of us joins NATO, both of us join and now they're both having separate discussions on it at this point
1: i think i think well, they're having separate but it seems but like it's, though it's they're still going to come in together for yeah. it i think part of it is sweden's just being practical because they can their position neutrality will make no longer make any sense when they're stuck between two nato countries
2: what? yeah and so I'm old enough to remember when (laughs) we had all this consternation uh, around uh, the DC area and and elsewhere around foreign policy circles about, Oh, the Russians are doing all this gray zone stuff uh, and salami slicing and pick your different buzzword where, you know, they're progressively destabilizing European security and, uh, making aggressive foreign policy moves that are just under the threshold of overt conflict, and no one wants to kind of respond decisively enough, and there are a lot of voices in in the European Union that are resisting, kind of really pushing back in any meaningful way, and, oh no, what are we ever going to do? Well, Russia threw that hand away oh, yeah. and set it on fire, and then threw a couple jugs of gasoline on its burning wreckage. You, they ended up yeah, creating a situation now where you have Finland and Sweden not just sort of toying with the idea of joining NATO, moving forward in in what could be like an exceptionally fast accession to NATO oh, yeah. uh, in in a matter of months. You've got German rearmament <laughs> Uh, and that's not to say that there aren't still some funky things going on with German politics yeah. and, and quite that's, how. That's decisive yeah, yeah, they're exactly be. So, though, but podcast. like compared to the compared to the, the status quo before, it, pretty profound shift in, in German foreign policy. and they've basically got a new consensus in the EU and NATO of drawing a hard line in the sand and most of the countries of Europe, uh, moving pretty aggressively to figure out how can yeah. they block Russian aggression and how can they support Ukraine i don't think that a lot of people appreciate like
1: or really understand like realize how just with in this time we currently live in in within like a year or so we're essentially seeing not only europe being more united than it's been in Almost anybody currently lives
2: lifetime. Well, actually, Almost. probably ever. Like when Possibly, you when you look yeah. at how, yeah, straight, how much things land really yeah, exactly. have been. It's even in the uh, allegedly unified periods yeah. of the of twentieth century. I mean, like it was never that clean, even on the western side of the Iron Curtain.
1: It's also, and then, but then at the same time, we're seeing the end pretty much of Finnish and Swedish neutrality, something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. German pacifism and from a lot, of, a lot of things of what's going on with China, in other words, we've are pretty much seeing we pretty much seen the end of Japanese pacifism as well. Like, that's,
0: uh,
1: that is going to have a huge ramification for just how the rest of this, like, century is going to
0: go. I think we did an episode on that. I can't remember.
2: It's been a while. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've hit on that to, I mean, to varying degrees yeah, in yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but uh,
1: basically, the short story is that the Japanese quote, quote, defense force is it, mostly now, like, military uh they're they're very and, and like they're i mean it had really, it had been for for decades been, but, but they're much more and very, very yeah all right europe shut, a up, shut up europe europe europe
0: shut up we'll do, a Jap- we'll, do a, we'll do a japanese episode well, calm down well, but actually you know this <laughs>
2: this raises a point that i think is is important which is who is it who's actually lined up against russia in response to their crimes against ukraine It's not some sort of the whole world is is on one page situation. You have the US, the EU, Japan, and and some other allied countries on one side of things. And then you have an awful lot of other countries that are basically still trying to just stay out of it. Yeah. For, for varying reasons. And, and those are very powerful. different yeah. kinds of situations of trying to stay out of it. But, but that is worth noting that you have a sort of unified block that is kind of where we sit and where our main traditional allies of the last several decades sit. And outside that, the picture gets a lot more complicated. Yeah, it's it's also like
1: this. We're going to focus on the EU sanctions, but honestly, like, the thing that's done probably the most damage will. Because I touched on earlier, like, how much Russia imports for Tronsonal, but now you have, you know, Japan, Singapore, and Taiwan are also not, like, lined up to immediately uh, not export, like, more of those to, to Russia. Like, that's going to do the most, like, damage. That's incredible, because before, with other things, it was usually slap on the wrist or attempts by Europe, and the rest of the world kind of didn't do as much but now you have other you, know, you have a lot of these other players in general um which so like a lot of people constantly refer to the only one who cares about Russia thing is the west or the only end is the west i mean it's not that anymore it's a it's much of a coalition because and also just the irony of calling japan the most eastern country in the world part of the west is itself kind of <laughs> just funny and just erroneous but anyway it's Wait, uh, when
0: far yeah. enough east it becomes west
1: I, true, actually, yeah. So, Japanese maps at, uh, in Japanese schools um, have Japan at the center of the world. Um, if anyone's that's never done that's before, true in, it's in to, a, an awful lot of oh, places. It's fun to look up, though, like, what a world map looks like in other countries. Oh, yeah. You can see how it's Yeah, um, they're positioned. all wrong.
2: And how many of them forget to include New Zealand? Well, literally all of them are wrong because you can't properly represent a globe on a... Shut up, nerd. I'm, not, I'm just
0: making a bad joke. Hey,
2: God. But anyway. Part of my job is to spoil these things for you, Ryan. I know. why do
0: you, I, I just want happiness. Part of
2: why happen. Part of why you bring me here is to ruin your dreams. <laughs> I,
0: just, I just want to happen. After Rob's God like, made Fuck
2: Ryan, you. he then made Rob so that Rob could spoil Ryan's
1: fun. <laughs> Make sure Ryan didn't have too much fun. Yeah.
0: Keep me in line. That's how the balance is maintained. This balance station will keep the other systems in line.
2: Going <laughs> <laughs> off in a very different direction. And our Star Wars
0: reference made. Okay, uh, moving on. So yeah, so Finland and Sweden, probably going to join, more than likely. It'd be weird if they didn't. Uh, Finland, I probably definitely would. And also, they would definitely fit in with their... They have so much Western weapon... You know, not Western, but they yeah. are Western. But, you know, they have so much weapon systems based off the U.S. They bought a bunch of F-35s the last six months. So it's like they're kind kinda yeah. already kind of sitting pretty for that kind of shit. Moving on. There's something I've wanted to talk about. I've wanted to talk about you know, wanting to do it at Ukraine episode, you know, the last couple months, because we haven't done an episode, because whatever... Um, is that I went to a protest, and like, a, lot of, a lot of people have had signs for no-fly zones. So, yes.
2: And, 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 and,
0: so why is that problematic? Uh.
2: Well, first of all, no one actually knows what it means, which is, <laughs> which is a big part of the issue. Not that that's, you know, novel. There, a huge amount of public discourse and debate on pretty much any topic uh, seems to involve mm. people using words and literally having no idea what they actually mean. no. That can't
1: be the case.
0: I
2: don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a lot of words mean.
0: I'm just throwing it out there. But no, it's just like, yeah. The, the is That's just, why you started a podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, look how smart I am. I have a podcast. Um have a podcast and a dictionary. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, no one can stop me now. But I mean, I mean it's, 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 I mean, we, we've we done it in the U.S. has done it several, um, multiple times throughout the last, like, 30 years, you know, over Iraq, over Libya, over the Balkans, you know, countries that had fucking piss poor air defense systems. Yeah, and also not nuclear weapons. That's the big one. Well, I
1: mean, Saddam allegedly, but no, but let's be (laughs) fair. But like, yeah, whereas it, I mean, a no-fly zone, in my opinion, would have made sense if before the invasion happened, if NATO too, because a lot of war is about who has the initiative, if NATO had suddenly just come into, like, no-fly zone over all this part of, Korea, of Ukraine, except Crimea, that would have put Russia in a situation where they really... It, then Russia really wouldn't have... Been, I, I think Russia would not have been able to do anything about it, because then, if there was a no-fly zone, then they would have been less incentivized and very less... They probably would not have invaded. But now that the invasion has happened, it's too late to do a no-fly zone, because that risks... Um, you know a nato aircraft being shot down by a Russia and start you know, like it's
2: well so i i mean to step back to that point of people not really knowing what they're asking for when they talk about it i think there are two main groups of people who have advocated for a no-fly zone in the u.s and the eu now there are there are people in ukraine who have positioned that as something that they're asking for for a very different set of reasons with a very different set of incentives, but in the u s and Western Europe, the largest chunk of people, especially people in media um, who have been asking for or demanding a no-fly zone are people who don't understand that what that actually means is having NATO planes shoot down Russian planes directly yeah. and-, and then there is a smaller set of particularly hawkish foreign policy commentators who do know that that's what it means and think that the the risks of direct shots fired between U.S. slash NATO forces and Russian forces are uh, acceptable in terms of how they read the the possibilities of escalation here. I think that's, at this point, a a very, very unwise gamble. It is. it's, It's risking a nightmare
1: that people who grew up in the Cold War, like uh you know had nightmares about how did put it more way like it that's that's a night it's i think part of that is part of its ignorance of like people not i mean I, definitely in the last like a month a month or so a lot of people who were not aware of what nato was made for have definitely become made aware of what nato's purpose originally was and ish. a ish. lot of them are
2: still very confused to be yes. to be fair
1: um
0: but yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's also looking at, it's not even just aircraft to aircraft, it's that like, you know, Russia air defense systems and missile systems are good enough where they can be not, they, Ukraine's not big enough where they, they basically, yeah, I'm fucking adding a little bit, I'm fucking just talking like a dumbass right now, um, basically Russian air defense systems can be in Russia, which would require our aircraft to go into Russia and bomb yes. those targets, which is really problematic and would we escalation. Yeah.
1: Another thing, too, logistically, you, a lot of people don't understand. Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe, if you count Russia as part of Europe. If not, then it's the largest country in Europe. It is huge. Um, like, like Iraq, I, I mean, I haven't done the measurements, but I am pretty sure. I think you could probably fit at least four or five rocks in Ukraine. And the difference, that, though, I is I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But like, you am fit I done more. At, but that you could. I bet you can fit at least two and a half. I don't Ukraine's know. Ukraine's a big country. Iraq's a big country.
0: No, I think it's with it's Iran, the, Iran is, the, is
1: three it, times the well, size of Iraq.
0: Iran's fucking huge, but Iraq's still but no, big. But
1: no, it's just like securing the airspace over Iran. I mean, <laughs>
2: Iraq. <laughs> Ukraine is down. about 1.4 times bigger than Iraq, for your, for your okay. reference. Well, no, wait, wait, I was wrong. Using the I, I magic I was wrong. of Google. What did, I was you, wrong. what did you Google to find that? Size of Iraq versus size of Ukraine. <laughs> no, it's,
0: not, it's not that hard I, I, of a
2: search term.
0: I can't believe it's a result.
2: <laughs> I mean, At the
1: same time, though, like, that's, that's still that is a, it's a large country. Are you surprised that people have here. been looking
0: for that info? A,
1: that would be a large country to do yeah. a no-fly zone over. I mean, uh, Iraq was, lit, would, was easier for a variety of reasons. One being that there wasn't Russian planes flying around in it and that Saddam's air force was annihilated in like three I mean, days sort
2: of russian planes oh <laughs> <so> yeah russian
1: owned planes not russian model planes um but yeah it's but it's, I, a, it's a much more like just securing an airspace the size of like, ukraine is not a small feat to begin with it basically my point uh regardless if it's 1.4
2: or three rocks in size but i i also think it's Really crucial to stop and think about the internal dynamics of Russian politics and the morale and discipline of the Russian armed forces and how that changes for when you shift from this is a war that we're basically coming up with all kinds of crappy justifications of for why we are invading our neighboring country versus this is a war of survival against the evil scary western alliance that desires our destruction that i mean that framing domestically in russia is very very different and i i think there's a very very strong risk that having that kind of a direct involvement by u.s or nato troops whether on the ground or in the air basically makes it easier for russian leadership to get much more cohesion and support and higher morale yeah, and also behind to, what which, doing. i mean and it escalates what their terms of negotiation would be for ending the conflict. and misunderstandings can escalate exceptionally quickly um, the Cold War
1: is—we don't have time to go into—but the Cold War is filled with many of times where there were misunderstandings that caused escalations that got us close on multiplications occasions to a nuclear war, a, a this, nuclear this,
2: apocalypse.
1: Yes. Um. Yeah. To the be, the, there's other ways like like the, this in the middle in a war like this, particularly with Russia, like. On pretty much now, like being pushed back as it is, and doing as poorly as it is, this just opens up another can of worms and a whole nother many scenarios where we could get another one of those situations. And yes, yes, we the nuclear apocalypse didn't happen in those other scenarios, but history is not a does not a guarantee how something
2: happened in the past is not a guarantee of how it will happen in the future. And we lucked out an awful oh, lot during the Cold War, exceptional amount. Yes, <laughs> I mean speaking of multiple scenarios. There is, I think, a whole another podcast episode and then some worth of discussion to be had about what are the range of possible outcomes yes. given where things are now. It, it's, the, because there is, yeah. I think, virtually no likelihood that what you end up is what you end up with here is basically a return to the status quo ante. No. But there is a huge range of very, very different scenarios for what the alternative outcomes could be. And I don't think we have, many of us, done enough digging into what do those possibilities look like, which ones are better or worse, and how can we actually steer towards some better scenario outcomes versus ones that are going to be especially nasty for a long time to come. Because this could go on for quite a long time.
1: I mean, just a, a like just a casual viewing of Russian history would show you how every time Russia has engaged in a war offensively, um it most of the time it has ended one of two ways: either they win because they overwhelm their enemy with just wave after wave after wave of people. Or as Futurama fans would know it as the Zap-Brandergan strategy. But the... Or what happens is, after throwing wave after wave of men something, it actually causes internal breakdown within Russia itself. Um, A lot of times that's how when Russia fights an offensive war, that has ended up happening. Again, history is not... A guarantee of how things will go in the future because that is a mistake many people have made in the past is assuming history you know guarantees their outcome but this is not a country that historically has given up quickly uh militarily
2: and it's also not one that has a stable and robust set of institutions.
1: Or gives a damn about it. The conscripts that this is just throwing at, like, yeah, the front
2: line. <laughs> I think,
0: I think in a, uh, so we're running out of time, so I'm going to end on this. I think, it, back to what Rob was saying before, you know, this will change everything. It's kind of like, even... God damn it, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, we're grilling after this that's why kevin uh true is making an appearance at my home uh, not for the podcast but anyway uh i know i think um is um nato secretary Gen- Se- secretary general jen Stoltenberg basically said like hey we're completely changing our strategy of russia now like we're gonna basically build permanent bases in eastern europe we're not fucking around we're just it's like they 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 made a decision we're gonna make our decisions and that's basically what their their outcome's gonna be but uh, as much as some things I'd like to cover tonight, uh, we've kind of gone past our time. So, uh, that was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Yay. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Fuck you, Glory fucking, fucking Ukraine. Rain.